So yeah, but Merritt hadn't seen her aunt or uncle or cousins in two years. Cousin in two years, so. Wow. Nice part of Hanukkah. Two years is a long time when you're a kid. Yeah. It's a long time for all of us, I think. (laughs) It's a long time until you're not there anymore. Then it's like, where did that time go? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely true. And Mary, like you, you were, you've been in conventions your whole life. So how did it feel going back to a convention? It felt really nice, like strange, because like I haven't been to one in a while. And also it was very different than normal conventions, but it still felt pretty good. Good. Yeah, I really missed it. I was, uh, it was fun to see everyone's pictures of setting up their booth and stuff like that. I'm excited for us to have conventions again. Someday. The photos, Someday. yeah, the photos coming out of Emerald City, it looked really fun. I enjoyed the the Libioka family photo in front of the booth. <laughs> yeah, that's a tradition. Um, Mike likes to take, take the picture every morning and put it on social media. So it's a tradition I missed a lot. So it was wonderful that you took that step. Uh, thank you. <laughs> okay, I guess we've started an episode, haven't we? Possibly. We have, have some special guests today two special guests we've got uh miriam and merid hello Hi. <laughs> we should uh we're like i think normally we do a character building question with introductions right yes i have a i have a character building question for us so today we will be reading uh stargazing by Jen Wang. and uh we announced on our last episode that this is what we would be reading and miriam and merid uh, reached out to us to let us know that they were huge fans of this book. And so we thought what a fantastic opportunity to get some uh, some feedback from some other readers and to have you both as guests. And yeah, uh, and I think I will start with some character building questions, which is what we always do. So stargazing is a, you know, a new kid who comes to school and has some unusual habits. And so I wanted to ask all of you, is there something that you did as uh, a kid that other people thought was a little unusual? And uh, while you think of this, I have my answer. So my name is Jam. And uh, when I was young, when I was about five or six, I think I had a, uh, a puppet shaped like a mouse that I named Story. And I kept this thing with me everywhere I went and would like, you know, talk as the mouse with other people. And uh, I, I don't know if I cared if other people thought that was strange, but in retrospect, it was a little strange. <laughs> and definitely that's not the entirety of the strange things I did as a child, but that's, that's one for today. <laughs> <laughs> I'm JD. Uh, I uh, did so many strange things as a kid. I was a weird kid. One thing that kind of stands out is uh, I used to, uh, I didn't need glasses when I was a kid. Uh, I definitely do now. I can't see a thing without them. But when I was a kid, I had these like plastic glasses frames with nothing in them that I would wear to make myself look smart. (laughs) (laughs) 
And so when I got to, I guess it was probably middle school and realized he needed glasses, I was like, yeah, that's fine. That's yeah. Already fits my self-image. So I'm on board. Bring it on. That's very, <laughs> that's very on brand, JD. Um, I like that. I also you just had, knew. Just, just because that's not that weird. I want to add one more thing. Um, I use a couple of times I pretended that I had an imaginary friend even though I didn't just because I thought that would be cool like other people get imaginary friends I want one too uh and and then I just like sort of told people that I did but I I didn't I didn't have a, there wasn't an imaginary friend that I actually imaginary, imaginary friend yes exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's very meta <laughs> also very on brand <laughs> Um, all right. And I want to just say weird kid solidarity. I mean, I think I was also a very weird kid. I don't know why this occurred to me, but I'm just going to go with this because it's the first memory that, that struck. And it's interesting. You mentioned a puppet jam. Cause like <laughs> when I was in grade two, I got a little attachment on my pencil. It's like a little dinosaur head. And you could like oh. use your thumb to like make the mouth open and close. Did they have like wiggly arms? It had wiggly arms. <laughs> I loved those. And I think they still yeah. exist. And it, um, anyways, it, 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 like I imbued it with this whole like personality. And I had a little pencil case box where I like made like a room for this like pencil to live. And I had like, <laughs> had, like a, a dresser and a bed. And I just like, I made this stuff out of paper. And like, that's uh, so cute. It's like, but I was constantly, my friend joined me in this. So he had his little pencil buddy and they would talk to each other. And I guess like my grade two teacher was so sick of us playing with these pencils that <laughs> my, she, and she, I don't think she was a very good teacher, but she was so irritated that we were playing with these while she was talking that she grabbed the pencils and threw them in the garbage in the middle of class. No. And oh. I fished them out afterwards and my friend was like, oh no, like it's garbage now. Like I won't take it back. What? Like, now that it has been put in the garbage, it is garbage. And so that was the end of that. Uh, so I, I kept the pencil thing for a while, but like that game was over at that point. Oh, sad end. Yeah. And I, oh, sorry, I'm, I don't think I introduced myself. I'm Jeff Ellis. That's my sad story. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Trade Waiters Childhood Therapy Hour. <laughs> um, I guess uh, one of, so uh, I'm Miriam Vicky, and I mean, I guess we'll, we'll talk about in this book also having weird things about you that are completely outside of your control. So I guess the first thing that came to mind was one of those is that, um, I mean, I, I was also a very shy kid and uh, felt generally like I didn't fit in, but I always sneezed very loudly and blew my nose very loudly. And everybody would let me know that I blew <laughs> very loudly and blew my nose very loudly. And um, I went to a Jewish school. And so uh, on the Jewish New Year, we, we blow the shofar, the ram's horn. And it's not a very lovely musical sound. It's like it's a real like blast. Yeah. Right. It's this real like loud sort of. Um, blast and then I think it was even a teacher that started this I know teachers joined in for sure is like that they would if, if I would blow my nose in class they would go Takia which is what you <laughs> say after the shofar blast so <laughs> I, 
I, I am concerned for your childhood now. <laughs> yeah, so basically, I think probably a teacher said it one time and they didn't really mean to be mean, but they got a laugh and so they kept doing it and they didn't care how it made me feel. Not okay. <laughs> we have learned a lot about teaching since I we were I just want to kids. say that as a teacher, I have never <laughs> thrown someone's toy in the garbage. <laughs> uh, nor have I made fun of the way a student sneezes. <laughs> that seems like the bare minimum. Hi, <laughs> I'm Mary Yoshiyuka, and I, when I was smaller, I would most of the time in my, I would act like I was a cat, and like it wasn't even really that much of a game. I would just be a cat and I still do that but it's just, it was this thing I did where I thought I was a cat or maybe it was just that I wish I was a cat and thought it was a mistake that I wasn't a cat so I was gonna try my best to still be a cat but me and mom would make jokes about um maybe I was born in this weird way that I had a cat's soul and a person's body. Mm. <laughs> I would, I act like a cat. I would act like a cat. I still act like a cat. That's the, one of the weird things about me. <laughs> I can relate very much to that. I think I am also a cat in a, in a human body sometimes. <laughs> and I like to pretend that I am, I am a cat instead. <laughs> say i think everybody wants to be a cat like uh i think home. that's typical among cartoonists i don't know if that's necessarily the <laughs> the norm amongst the general population all right well every time i come home and i see my cat lounging on the blanket on the couch i'm like man i wish that was my day <laughs> <laughs> some people like you they for a second they like, don't really like cats as much so they think they're a different animal but they kind of know that they still feel more like a cat even though they try and be more like something else true don't deny your true nature <laughs> well thank goodness for all of our different childhood experiences that make us beautiful and interesting people now and uh, yeah, I think that's a, a perfect way to kick off a discussion of stargazing. So I mentioned that this is a story by Jen Wang. We have covered another Jen Wang book in the past, which was uh, The Prince and the Dressmaker, for which Jen won a Harvey and two Eisner Awards. Uh, she's an artist based in LA, and her other works include Coco Be Good in Real Life uh, and the latest being Stargazing, which has won an Asian and Pacific Islander Award for Literature already, but I would be surprised if that's the last accolade. So I also want to mention before we kick off into the discussion, but, but the colors are by Lark Pien, uh, and it's published by First Second Books. So yeah, Stargazing is the story of uh, Christine, who uh, is a young girl in... I believe it's an unnamed 
<laughs> unnamed probably American city. Uh, uh, I think it, I think there's a California flag over the it, school. Yeah. Okay, yeah, it definitely sure has California Angeles. vibes. So I would be surprised if it's not specifically LA. But Christine, her life is kind of shook up when it's determined that young Moon and uh, her mom, whose name is Yuen or Mrs. Lin, they're having some tough times. And so Christine's parents decide that they are going to let Moon move into uh, basically like the senior laneway unit in, uh, in their backyard. And so Christine and Moon start to get to know each other and Moon already has a bit of a strange reputation. But despite this, they become friends and uh, learn a lot about each other. So I think to kick off this discussion, why don't we start with first impressions, overall impressions? Did you like this book? What did you think? I read the Prince and the Prince and the Dressmaker first. So this was definitely very different. Like you can see the, the drawing is similar, but it's definitely a very different milieu. Like it's it's contemporary, you know, it's very contemporary. I, I think that it's somewhat based on Jen Wang growing up, but it's it's set in present time uh, California as opposed to some sort of half fantasy historical Europe. And yeah, and it uh, is, is definitely very down. Like, I think that Prince and the Dressmaker had a lot of fairy tale elements, even though it's supposed to be set in like a version of the real world. And so this one was much more of a, of a slice of life um, for most of the book. But I really liked it a lot. I thought it was very naturalistic. There's a lot of, you know, it's a lot of things that, you know, you're, there's a lot of showing and not telling, I feel like, with all the characters. Merid, what did you think? Um, I think that... It was a really good book, and I thought that it was going to be very interesting, and that hopefully I would be able to draw it out longer than most of the books I've read. And you That's go probably through comics quick quickly. Yeah. yeah, I'm good at reading books quickly, and it's kind of upsetting sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I do find that <laughs> with comics that I really, really enjoy. I tend to read them faster, which is like the opposite of what you should do. Yeah. But like, I really just want to know what happens next. And so I just like flip through as fast as I can go to get to the end. It takes uh, so much discipline to slow down your reading. Uh, sometimes if a comic is really intense, I can stop and take breaks. But yeah, if it's really engaging and light like this one was, I think I did read this one very quickly as well. First time, one sitting. <laughs> just need to not tell the creator how quickly you read the work. <laughs> <laughs> that, well, that, what you have to say is you have to say, oh, I'm going to read it a second time. Yes, I've there read it go. so yeah. many times. <laughs> I do like reading it like all the time. Like it, some books make me relate them to things that happen in my life. And I'm not sure if it's for everyone, but I think it's pretty common for people when they're upset to find something that make, that relates to their life, but it's different in ways that makes them feel better. So books like Stargazing, it, they just, they make me want to read them again and again. And they're just really good to help when I'm trying to get through tough times. Yeah, that's so true. Things that can reflect your experience and it helps take it out of the way that you're feeling like you feel so alone sometimes. Yeah. 
you know, yeah, good I, to focus on someone else's problems for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I would say like, even though I don't think I'm necessarily the target audience of this book, like I actually found this pretty relatable. Like, um, I think especially just thinking back to my childhood and just the way that the kids, you know, in this story interact with each other, I think, yeah, like I, I've been to a birthday party like that. I've had like friendships like that. I've had problems with friends that have played out in a similar way, you know, like, so I don't know. It, it yeah. The, the term slice of life was used earlier. I think like this definitely felt very like authentic, you know, and I, it's something I always really like in a comic work is when it feels like it's really captured a moment. It's sort of showing you what life can be like for people. I, I, I really think this really nailed it. Yeah. I, I'm glad you brought that up. I really agree that the specificity of some of the elements of this work were really interesting and unique and yet, or perhaps because of this specificity, it still feels very relatable. Like I also uh, felt myself remembering some of the, the awkwardness of being a kid. Uh, I was a kid who moved a lot. And so the awkwardness of starting those first conversations with someone that you didn't grow up in, especially when you're barging into a location where this whole like neighborhood cell has already been living there a long time and you're just, ah, hi, I'm new. And you have to kind of get over this awkwardness of like, am I allowed to talk to you? How does this even work? But I like, loved the the very LA, very, go ahead, Mary. Um, the way Moon was at the beginning with everyone is that everyone at the school had kind of like clicked and understood where they were with each other. And now that Moon was there, it kind of upset the entire balance. Mm -hmm. So now a bit of everyone needs to find their way back to a spot that they feel comfortable with. Yeah. And Moon is interesting because uh, she's not shy. So something I, that I found very interesting about Moon as a character is that she, maybe, I don't know, I don't know too many kids, but like. Straightforward? She is very straightforward. She's yeah, very direct. Bold. She's bold. She, she knows herself and what she likes, and she's not shy about telling people what she likes. Uh, and I think that brought a really interesting dynamic to the book. Like uh, Christine is a lot more guarded and shy despite you know, Moon literally coming to her turf, you know, like it's her literal backyard. Uh, and yet she's almost like on guard about this Moon person uh, because she has a reputation for starting fights, but Moon is shown to be very friendly and very welcoming and they get into K-pop, which I thought was such a fun little detail. Well, uh, yes, Moon did fight, but that was mostly just when the people did deserve it. It's just the the you should still shouldn't do that but we did kind of deserve it <laughs> the only time she beat one of the only times she beat someone up in this book was for a very good reason i'd say yeah it was uh vivian right the little sister i think the little sister was yeah. getting teased yeah yeah someone uh someone else in their friend circle there's someone else at the school, not in their that's circle. Right, someone's not in their circle. Yeah, someone at the school. That's right. Someone at the school had told Vivian that she was stupid, and that made her feel bad. Made her feel sad because she wasn't doing well with her homework. And so then the next day, Moon came to the school, 
found out who that person was and then just started punching them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I I really like how complicated all the characters are. Like uh, I read a lot uh, of books, of course. I read a lot of YA and it's really easy to um, end up with characters who kind of fall into tropes. Uh, and like no one in this book falls into a trope. Like everyone is kind of really complicated, even like like the dad character, for example. It, it would have been pretty easy to write him as kind of an antagonist where he's always a problem and then he has an arc and he gets better by the end. But no, he's not a bad dad. He's got a lot of really good qualities. It's just that there are specific things where he and Christine are not on the same page and like they need to find a way to reconcile. And like he doesn't, completely transform as a character but he does have an arc and i really like that that um like yeah this ties into the the specificity of the characters and their specific situations too where it just feels very real like they feel like they're real people Mm -hmm. yeah i actually (laughs) i will say i really appreciated uh in the instances when moon is fighting with someone like adults immediately intervene which is something that you don't see a lot in fiction, like kids. Yeah, just it, fight I mean, and that's the kind of thing that does happen in real life now. Maybe it didn't happen when most authors were kids. Maybe, but like you can't just like go track someone down in a hallway and punch them and expect nothing to come of that. Well, I think that's it's kind of one of the YA sort of tropes is is you know sort of the absent and neglectful grownups, right? Yeah. Um, and so that's a, that's a trope in YA, and I don't even think it's necessarily, um, you know, when people write that trope, I don't think they're necessarily reflecting their own lives. They're just saying, well, this is this is how, you know, Roald Dahl did it, so. And it, it, it keeps the focus on the, the younger characters. I'm not necessarily saying it's, it's correct, but I, I think it's used as a means to you know, okay, we can't have the parents come in as like a deus ex machina and just solve all the problems. So we're going to keep the focus on the kids by just and wavy explaining away the parents oh, in yeah. one way or another. But I actually really appreciated the parents in this book. Uh, as, as you both mentioned, JD and Jeff, they feel very real. They feel very rounded and authentic. And they feel all of them like good parents, which is really refreshing and nice. I think uh, Christine's parents, they always come from a place where they want to do the right thing. They want to be very inclusive and they're also not sure about Mrs. Lynn. And, you know, Mrs. Lynn's got a more casual, a more laissez-faire attitude where Christine's parents are a little bit more strict. But Mrs. Lynn is very supportive. She always wants to do what's right for her daughter. She really loves her daughter, which you can see. And, uh, but she's also kind of a little bit exhausted. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Exhausted and overwhelmed with the responsibilities of being a single parent with yeah. uh, not a lot of income. And that's, uh, that's tough too. And that's real too, uh-huh. right? Yeah, there's definitely some, some class stuff going on, which you don't see very often in like present day settings in YA. Mm. Uh, and I really appreciated that. Like, um they they have uh moon has uh all these medical issues at the end of the story and at that point i was like okay i really like this story like i enjoy it so much i'm if the paying for the bill for this never comes up i'm gonna be okay with that but no it does come up because like yeah obviously if you live in los angeles and you need to go to the hospital you're gonna have a bill to pay 
So, and they do okay. actually address that in the story. Yeah. yeah. I feel like it's like, that's like the, that was the least relatable part as a Canadian reader is that <laughs> this person's child has a brain tumor and now there has to be a big community fundraiser because you have to pay for that out of pocket. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's also just, I mean, this is like, I don't know, you, you wouldn't want this to be a, a, a BuzzFeed article because then like the criticism would be, well, this isn't great. Look, like she has to pay for this, but it is heartening that the community comes together to, to support them. Yeah. Because like, that's, yeah. I think it's good to see it reflected in media as well, because this is something that a lot of kids are going to encounter and go through this whole aspect of you're sick, but you might not be able to do anything about it in the United States. Uh, that's something that has been a problem for probably 20 years now. <laughs> and well, I mean, longer than that, but becoming really pressing in the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I was I was really heartened to see that, you know, uh, so the the plot twist that we're talking about is that it is revealed that some of the things that you could look back on as symptoms, like maybe spacing out a little bit, impulse control, the big one being that Moon has these visions of uh, celestial beings uh, that come to her and speak to her and Moon believes that she's not actually human, that she actually belongs up there with them. It's revealed that these are symptoms of a brain tumor and uh, very quickly, you know, she's ushered off to the hospital to have an operation and that operation was successful and uh, her life is saved. She's okay, but she now no longer has these visions. And I think what we take from that is she feels a little less special now, that despite it being something that was really dangerous to her, it did make her feel maybe not different, but that she had a reason to be different. That it's like, okay, everyone treats me kind of weird, but uh, that's to be expected because I'm supposed to come from the moon or like I'm supposed to come from these beings beyond the stars. So it's okay that they treat me different. But now that that reason is removed, she has to contend with just being herself. (laughs) And so I was really, really glad that she was okay in the end. I would have felt really, really bad if this had had a sad ending. Uh, And I thought it was a really interesting way for it to play out. Yeah, I really like the the structure of this book. Miriam mentioned how different uh, stargazing is from The Prince and the Dressmaker. And that was one of my uh, impressions too, is that this is a very different work. Like The Prince and the Dressmaker, you have all these sort of like gorgeous, uh, like well-designed pages, like the the costumes are impressive. The settings are, are so interesting. Um, and, and I really like that, of course, but uh, I, and I don't think those things would suit this story because this is a, a much more conventional setting. But what we miss out on in the sort of the the designs of it, like the the the, the graphicness of it, like the story structure was like totally unexpected. There was no point at which I knew what to ha- what to expect next. Like it, there was even a point where I was thinking, okay is moon actually a celestial is that where this is going to go because like it, it doesn't fall into sort of like, like there's a lot of ya books that will like adhere to a predictable structure uh and which is fine i guess but it's just really 
really interesting to see a book that doesn't do that uh, and yet doesn't like make that a point of the story. It's just like, this is just the, the story just happens to be this other structure where like three quarters of the way through the book, the, to the story totally flips into something else. I think that was very nice because like predictable stories, they can be fun, but they're also, you don't always get as immersed in predictable stories because if it's predictable, then it's kind of like you already know what's going to happen. Like you flip to the end of the story so you know what happens. It's not really as much as if you are part of that story. Yeah, that's really true. The, the twists also make it feel more real to me. Mm -hmm. that like it, it felt like just a, a few months in the lives of these kids where you know stuff just kind of happens and they have to deal with it and that felt very relatable to me and it's uh it's really interesting that it still felt so cohesive usually when it's like uh I guess an example of this that is done well is this one summer where you have these fleshed out characters that are coming together for a period of time and then they leave and there's a part of you that's like oh but I want this doesn't feel finished because like what was the before and what was the after it's just this period of time whereas this somehow manages to feel very finished uh and it it feels like an arc uh despite it being this you know very normal feeling window into a few months of of slice of life just like with the uh, celestial beings and stuff, then it seems like they, she does a really good job with foreshadowing. Like she plants a lot of things that you don't know what they're there for in the beginning. And then by the end, you do kind of feel like you have a fuller understanding of, you know, what's going on in this little universe. Yeah, it yeah. really, uh, you do can go back into the story and see Moon spacing out, you know, like even her fights can be seen as a type of impulse control issue that can be attributed to, to neurological issues sometimes uh and I thought it was a really interesting and level-handed way to portray something like that oh yeah no that was definitely my experience too is like when I got to the end I started flipping back and noticing and I hadn't noticed this at all on my first read is that whenever Moon is facing out she's got blue eyes it's like <laughs> it was subtle enough that I didn't notice it uh but then like I, I like was going like flipping back through it to get ready for the recording and realizing, oh, that's foreshadowing. Like there, the all the pieces are here, and it's just you don't know how to put them all together until you get to the end. Yeah, I thought it was also really interesting. Uh, did you read the afterword? I did. Yeah. yeah. So uh, one of the really interesting parts about this book is that the the experience of seeing visions and having. Uh, a brain tumor was actually experienced by the author herself. Uh, and so I thought that was a really fascinating angle through which you can understand the book as kind of a, a reflection of a personal experience and how scary of a thing to experience in your youth and how wonderful that we still get to have Jen Wang. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and I think yeah. it's interesting that she said that she was she was more of the moon character as, mm -hmm. as a child but she chose to make Christine the point of view character um, which I think works very well here 
I think so too. A very, very interesting. And it's, it's clear that she's met a lot of Christines in her life because that type of character is very spot on uh, from a lot of people that I've known throughout my life as well. But yeah, it was a nice point of view. Yeah, it's true because uh, I guess, I don't know, if you want to get literary about it, it makes it kind of a stranger comes to town story. Her making it the way it was, like Christine being the person who you really start out with and then they introduce Moon, I think that was a very good choice and it made me get like really really immersed into the story, how it worked. I, I'm i not exactly a Christine or a Moon, so I was kind of like just in the middle. I, I was part of the story, but I also wasn't. It was a very interesting feeling that I get with a lot of books, and it was very, very nice to just, you know, be a part of something that isn't really what you're used to. Mm. So you're related to both the main characters of Christine and Moon? Yeah, kind of a bit. Wonderful. Yeah, and if you look at the afterward, I think Jen kind of says that she is both, that like the main experience of the brain tumor is like something that happened to her. So in that sense, she's the Moon character, but she also is the Christine character at the same time. So it's interesting that sort of she has broken herself into these two characters. Uh, uh, but then when you read it, you can still identify with both of them and like kind of put them back together. Yeah. And I think that makes a lot of sense too, because if, if, the, if she feels like she's the Christine character, like I, I could imagine her sort of like that wanting to, like wanting to keep that separate from the... Uh, what happens to Moon? Because if if you're the person that this is happening to, you don't realize that you're this character that has this tragic event happen to you. You're just like trying to live your life, and so it it makes sense to have a character who can sort of embody that. Like this was me the rest of my childhood. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I like that. What was your favorite scene? I mean, the big kind of dance performance uh concert at the end i think was pretty cool like again it brought a nice resolution to everything because i do sort of feel i think the cohesiveness of this even though it is sort of a slice of life is the friendship between christine and moon that it's like they meet each other they get to know each other better they become good friends christine sort of gets jealous of moon and betrays her and then there's this tumor there's sort of this like rocky patch but then Christine sort of like makes it up to moon and then there's this fundraiser and this dance they do this big the whole school kind of does this big dance performance sort of in honor of moon as part of this fundraiser for moon and so they end on this really good high note of their friendship so it's sort of I feel like the friendship was sort of the structure of this of this story you know and yeah I think the ending just really paid everything off not to mention that I just love the way that Jen Huang draws dancing and and facial expressions. Those are like two favorite parts of this is the, the dancing and the facial expressions. I would agree with that. I think uh, similar, one of my favorite scenes was when they were rehearsing Christine and Moon, like trying to learn these dance moves mm. in Moon's bedroom. I just thought it, the way it was illustrated was super fun. Um, 
I liked it throughout the whole book because like I like yes how she portrays emotions how they the characters what choices they make with what happens in their lives mm. I do think the ending was very nice but I thought it was also cool when Christine had the dinner at Moon's new house and how it how she started realizing that a lot of kids' lives were very different from hers and that everyone is very unique in their own ways. That but, was your favorite scene? <laughs> yes. I loved the little detail in that, that uh, Moon is Buddhist and so that dinner is vegetarian. And when Christine goes to her, back to her mom and says, oh, we didn't have any meat because Moon's, Moon's Buddhist. And their mom's like, really? And just like reheat some chicken nuggets. <laughs> she didn't thought they wouldn't have gotten enough protein. That <laughs> <laughs> was really funny. <laughs> yeah, I would say that my, my favorites was actually the beginning because I felt like in the beginning, it was really confounding my expectations of where the story was going to go. Like right, there were so many just like really small reversals that kind of recalibrated the way I saw this world early on. Yeah, like that thing. Um, and yeah, the way that after she meet, she goes to Moon's house for the first time, uh, she comes home and she writes in her notebook about Moon. Yeah, I think for me, that was the most uh, memorable one. Like that whole scene also where they do the dance for the first time. And then she writes down Moon Lin, uh, confident, funny, not Asian. Yeah, uh, I thought that was so very interesting as well. Yeah, yeah. Because I, you know, I, I was, really didn't know what to make about that because I was like, you know, you can't tell when drawings are stylized, you know, certainly with manga influenced things, you know, as a white person, you can't always tell who is supposed to be white or who is supposed to be Asian. And, uh, and then this, and, you know, she later, I mean, clearly her mother is Chinese. And then, you know, when she finally talks about her dad, it seems like he is also Asian. And so, so what does that mean? Yeah. And then also kind of, and, and the, you know, the fact that, you know, it's, after Moon has revealed that she's super into K-pop, whereas um, Christine, you know, idolizes this very white singer. But then she goes home and writes that Moon is not Asian. Um, and that kind of uh, combined with the, the first lunch scene, which kind of shows a lot of dynamics. It shows, you know, that the Chinese kids all sit together, but that there's this white kid who comes in and she's like super down. Um, <laughs> but, but she's in Madison, but you know, and she's a popular kid and, and they all think she's great, but she's still definitely not part of the group. You yeah. know, you know, again, like if you're having expectations from YA tropes about, you know, about the minority kids who all sit at the same table or about the white kid who is popular, this, you know, there are dynamics here, but it's just not the dynamics that you're have been led to expect. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, that's a very keen observation, and I think that's that's really true. That there's a lot of subversions in this work that keep it very fresh, and it's such a such a wonderful new addition to YA yeah. uh, books that are available. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was I was uh, I was kind of expecting like the other shoe to drop with Madison, the character, for some reason, and then at the end it was just like, no, Madison's cool. She just. <laughs> she is kind of out of touch because she doesn't have the same experiences and she's also clearly like the richest person. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't make her bad. Yeah. I 
I, I kind of have two things to say. One thing that I was meaning to say before, but then I didn't get a chance. I do think that, yes, her Christine's mother did seem acted very interestingly after she heard that Moon's family was British. And like, to me, it kind of seemed like she was kind of paranoid about that. Mm. But it was also really interesting how she portrayed those emotions. Mm. Yeah, it was very subtle. And also mm. that, yes, you can kind of see, but like, like what, when one of the kids at that table actually says like, all of the different food days are good except Asian food day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that would be they never really unpack that in the story but, so we don't really know whether it's just they're they're making it wrong or uh, i think they're making it wrong yeah probably <laughs> um i don't know if i have a favorite scene of uh, there, there are a couple moments that i thought really sort of were particularly memorable like i like when we're finding out about moon's dad for example that he's this like motorcycle guy who just he his entire reason to move to the U.S. is because he wants to ride a motorcycle in the desert. It's like, <laughs> yeah, no, no, total full solidarity with people who move halfway across the world for like maybe not two super important reasons. <laughs> <laughs> you should be allowed to do that. Like, just you only have one life to deserts. live, you know. Just go <laughs> for it. It's not like. It's not the best thing to do, but it was still a pretty okay thing to do because every because it seemed like everyone in Moon's family was pretty on board with the idea. Oh yeah, uh huh, yeah. And then there was um, also near the end where Christine, uh, Christine's dad, uh, takes her out to eat uh, shaved ice, and mm -hmm. it was like I, I've spent a year and a half in Taiwan, and like as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, it's swabbing. They're having yeah, swabbing. They never yeah. even call it that in the story, but that's uh, that's the Taiwanese word for it. It's not the Mandarin word for it, but shaved ice is swabbing. Ah, uh, wonderful. Yeah, another really great detail I had forgotten. Just like <laughs> such a nice little treat. Yeah, like those details, like the, they make all the difference. I agree. Is there anything else we want to say about the art? Because the art is so great. The art is really good. And like, shout out to Lark Pian. Uh, I thought the colors in this work especially were really, really beautiful and harmonized really well with Jen's work, Jen's uh, illustration. Yeah, I think Lurk Pian, Lurk Pian has a long history with First Second, like kind of, I remember when First Second first launched and it was this whole thing of that um, it's going to be specifically YA and it's going to be specifically standalone graphic novels and that they're going to be not, you know, not the same size as mainstream comic books, they're going to be almost digest sized and that they're all gonna be in color. And that was part of their mission statement. And I think Lark Pian has been the main colorist, certainly at the you know first phase of first second, she always was. Um, uh, there's, a, there's a list at the back in her biography. She colored American born Chinese and uh, Sunny Rolls the Dice and Boxers and Saints and uh, a bunch of other books. Like that's- Kitty. That was her own book, yeah. Yeah, that, that's like a third of first seconds entire repertoire or something like that <laughs> i think that everyone here has said like how much they liked how she portrayed emotions on the characters faces and yes i thought that was a very important part but i also liked all the little details she put in 
that will, you won't really notice until you read it for the second or third time. And it's just nice to know that they're there Likewise. making the story complete. Like, if you go to this picture, see all the, uh, the, the Chinese shaved writing right. and <laughs> all the Chinese writing and, like, how even if you can't really make it out, you can sort of see that it's a, a kind of a small but still kind of important factor in the story and how yeah she really knows she knows when to cut out backgrounds and when to make very detailed and specific backgrounds which myself as a cartoonist that's something i'm still trying to learn <laughs> yeah that specific scene where they go to like the the mall type area like there's there's a place like that in my neighborhood like that's like instantly familiar yeah, i wouldn't be surprised yeah. if that's a real mall yeah but yeah, every cool. time she draws a location, it looks very specific and very real. But then every time she needs to concentrate on like, you know, postures or, you know, people's uh, faces, then then often, you know, the backgrounds will just go away. Yeah, posture is a really good way to put it. I was thinking gesture, but I think posture is is a little bit more accurate. But I find that Jen embodies emotions in her line work throughout the whole body of the character in a way that I really admire. Mm -hmm. But yeah, getting back to the location specificity, I was just flipping through and I just remembered that I guess they went to a Tesla museum at some point. So I think- Oh, that's, that's a real oh, yeah. place. Yeah, so I think like, I'm assuming that is in LA, but like whatever that I think- Yeah, you see that location in movies all the time. It's a specific, very specific place so that can nail down where where the story takes place. So um, it's definitely Los Angeles then. Okay, good. Yeah, it really shines through. And I'm glad they, they don't have to be so, you know, Los Angeles <laughs> you know, 2015 or whatever about it. <laughs> like it, it, there's enough context that it, it becomes very clear as you immerse yourself in the story, but it also, it's not so in your face that it takes, it, it only enhances the story. Yeah. It's not a story about LA. It's a story mm -hmm. about these characters who are real and inhabit a real place. Yeah. yeah I mean, and it doesn't need to be set in Springfield. No, yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> they, went, they went on a school field trip to this Tesla center. So I almost wonder if maybe kids in LA have a shared memory of just like oh yeah right every every <laughs> every kid in LA goes on the field trip to the Tesla museum I'm sure it's something <laughs> like that like as someone who has had to book field trips like <laughs> you, you run through the list of like okay what places are there in town that we can go to where <laughs> like haven't they been list of six. yeah <laughs> okay right. um do we want to do final thoughts yes so do you recommend this work and for who I do recommend this work and I think for anyone who likes creativity and likes things that really help you get like understand yourself as well as other people and how they might feel books like this do really help you understand yourself and other people so anyone who's creative and wants like a really good book to read I would recommend it for most people most people I know. <laughs> and most people around the world a 99% of the population probably <laughs> <laughs> I just think high, people around the world with mandatory like, reading it's a high, <laughs> high recommendation I like it 
<laughs> yeah, I, I also would recommend it. I think this is a great, a great little book. Yeah. I think, you know, again, uh, even, even though I don't feel like I'm the target demographic, I, I really enjoyed this. Um, so, uh, I'm actually, I'm, I see that, I think I noticed this last time and then I still haven't got around to it, but I saw that Jen collaborated with Cory Doctorow and yep. I, really, I really like Cory Doctorow. So I feel like I'm going to have to read this graphic novel at some point. Oh, yeah, I, I have I, it. It's good. I like it. Yeah. Okay. I also recommend in real life. It's a, it's a fun read and I also love Cory Doctorow. So I also had to check that one out. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I would definitely recommend this book. Uh, I'm going to specifically recommend this book to my students Good. Uh, except okay so I, I bought this book before Jan picked it as a trade waiters book I bought my copy of the book for my classroom oh, okay. uh, but now that I've read it I'm not putting it in my classroom I'm kidding. oh well you're gonna you need three more then so there, they can get it out of the library I know our library has it so John's gain is his class's loss <laughs> they only Here. get the second tier books not the top tier books. oh Sounds like he needs a classroom donations. <laughs> yeah, I guess the first person I lent this book to, well, you know, Merit doesn't count because she grabs the books anyways. I don't have to let <laughs> um, Right, I got the book for myself. Merit grabbed it and read it. And then the very next person I lent it to was actually Merit's grandma, my mother-in-law, who um, uh, she does not read a lot of comics, but she asks me for comics recommendations. So she's, you know... She's kind of curious about comics and um, she was a teacher for a long time as well. So I thought that, you know, she could relate to kind of that from a, from that perspective. Like, I think it's a, a really good book for, you know, I think it's a good book for teens, but it's also a good book if you're a grown up, but you used to like teen literature when you were a teen. Because <laughs> I think it, it, the way it fits in and also subverts a lot of, you know, a lot of YA of, you know, the late 20th century. It's very cool. Yeah, great. Uh, I'm I'm glad you brought that up. This is so again. This is the book that I recommended to the trade waiters initially, and its target audience is it's YA, so it's uh, kids and teens. But I it's another one of my rare broad recommends, even for people who may not have a lot of experience reading comics. I think this is a a fantastic book for anyone who wants to dip into the current state of graphic novel young adult and who wants to see what these types of uh, books are capable of because I think this is just such a, a really well executed well constructed read super relatable to all sorts of people and very uplifting like I felt just so good reading this book after I just like oh and just like you think back on it and you're like oh nice oh, people are good so, yeah people are good actually and so and I think, uh, like so even um <laughs> like despite how well written it is uh like unlike a lot of other really excellent graphic novels i i don't think this would challenge someone's comics literacy too much i agree which is uh why it's it's a perfect book for someone who's not used to comics but wants to learn more about them like it's it's one of my rare books that I feel can can do that uh yeah so go pick it up run <laughs> don't walk yay okay yay. um let's do uh shout outs uh I'll jump in with my first shout out uh so 
I'm currently moving and after 10 years, Vancouver Public Library Central Branch is not going to be my local library anymore. And longtime listeners of the Trade Waiters know that we started out recording in the VPL's Inspiration Lab. Uh, VPL Central is like when, when the pandemic struck, I was so, so sad that I couldn't just walk into the library. And I've, I've started going back now that things have eased a little bit. Uh, so I picked up this book, the, the physical edition uh, was available at VPL and also the digital edition when I had to reread it for the trade readers. So shout out to VPL for being absolutely awesome. Uh, I will still probably come back to the city just to go to the library. <laughs> I, I kind of have a book that I like reading. I have read and I'm still rereading it. It's, there are two names that I really know it by, Monkey King and Journey to the West. Oh yeah. Those are the mm. two names. It's a really good yeah, I guess a year, uh, about a year ago, there was a new translation and like redacted version of uh, oh. Journey to the West. Um, it's a book that I really like. It is a journey that is not only, it's figurative, but it's also like really like you can, it's, it's very different than real life, but it still kind of makes you think of other things that have happened in your life. So fantastic, but still relatable. The translator is Julia Lovell, L-O-V-E-L-L. -L, and it's a kind of, it's a newish, it's a newish translation. And I actually uh, found out about it, I think that uh, from Jean Luen Yang's Twitter feed. So is it, is it prose or is it comics? Oh no, no, it's prose. Um, okay. It's like classic literature. I tried reading uh, that wasn't the version that I tried reading because it was uh, like the big version that's like that big. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is I only got about a quarter of the way through it, but like the first part of it is like really exciting. Um, yeah, it's uh, so it is. It's she definitely. It's uh, she takes kind of the the episodes that she likes best and and translates them. So it's for if you're if you're a serious Chinese scholar, then obviously this would not be the uh, the only Monkey King version you would read, but. It is written in a very kind of um, fairy tale language, but it's also very funny. Like monkeys definitely has the, all the attitude that we associate with him from, you know, other other works that we've seen him in. And being a monkey, monkeys are very <laughs> funny and mischievous. Mischievous, yeah. Yeah. yeah no, I, not, I since I have failed in my attempt to be the serious Chinese scholar, I, I think I need to read that version instead. <laughs> okay um i don't have a book to recommend because i haven't been reading as many books <laughs> but i am going to shout out the cowboy bebop anime uh i started watching the, the anime because i was oh because there's a like a live action version and i thought well okay if i'm gonna watch this live action netflix thing i should like watch the original first i haven't got to the live action yet i still have no comment on that but uh really enjoying the anime it's a pretty solid anime yeah uh, my my whole quote is that it's the show that firefly wishes it was for sure yeah <laughs> i i i kind of yeah i watched it right before i watched firefly when we were before firefly came out and, and definitely yeah like you know the sort of 
bound family and and hapless bounty hunters. They they lean way more into the hapless bounty hunters, whereas Firefly <laughs> kind of gets rid of that plot element too fast. <laughs> I'm Jeff Ellis. I also haven't had a lot of time for reading, but uh, I'm specifically gonna shout out uh, David Aha, I think Aja. Um, uh-huh. Oh Aha. Uh, so he's the artist for. Hawkeye, My Life is a Weapon by Matt Fraction. And that is heavily the in, the sort of source material for the new Hawkeye series on Disney Plus that everyone's been watching that I really enjoy. And the title opening credits and end credits are heavily inspired by his art, but everyone talks about Matt Fraction's Hawkeye. But Matt Fraction's only the writer. So I want to shout out the artist because uh, the visual look of that series comes from David Aha. I just started my winter break, so I'm trying. I'm starting to get to my graphic novel TBR pile. Um, so I guess I'm going to shout out a book that I haven't finished yet, which could be risky, but I'm enjoying it so far. Um, which and it came out uh, last year, within a year, I think. Shira Specter's Red Rock Baby Candy, and it's from Fanographics, um, and it's a, a kind of a memoir, but she's got a very sort of collage style, and it's a very sort of um, stream, of, stream of consciousness storytelling as well. So this is definitely a book that you slow down and you read every page very slowly. It's definitely a different kind of reading experience than, than, uh, than stargazing, which carries you along very swiftly. Um, it's, it's more of a read where you kind of, the, the text isn't always clear and it's kind of woven into the art and you have to sort of, you kind of have to go into a different headspace to be with it. But then it's about a lot of like, personal issues and medical issues um and uh yeah I'm, I'm just glad that that so many kind of modes of reading can exist in graphic novels awesome so miriam is there somewhere you want people to find you on the internet so yeah i, I have got a website um which is realgonegirl.com um but i guess the i am most active on twitter at realgonegirl and um, also some of my, the m- most recent published things have been published at different sites. Um, I had some comics at the Nib. I had a comic on the Conversationalist. So those, I, I'm not really good at maintaining my website. So I haven't linked those pieces to my website. But uh, so yeah, I guess, I guess my Twitter and then you can also just Google me and find some recent comics I've done. So thank you so much, Miriam and Merritt, for joining us today. I thought that was a lot of fun. Uh, Thanks for having us. We're big fans of this show. And I have to say that um, the last three graphic novels I bought for gifts were ones that were recommended here. So it was, um, (laughs) I got got my brother-in-law the um, Slaughterhouse-Five. And uh, I got my sister the Magic Fish by Chung Lee. and then I just bought 150 Years Retold because it was shouted out on the last episode. So I haven't read that yet. But it's, a, it's a good one. This yeah. show is always great for introducing me to comics. And so thank you so much for having us on. Yay. <laughs> oh, thanks for being a part of it. The Trade Waiters is presented by Cloudscape Comics. We'd like to thank Sleuth for the music. You can find us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. 